Our first reading then, let us turn to Psalm 30 in that New Testament slot as we are now in that scheduled reading through the Psalms. Psalm 30 will be our first psalm, our, our first reading today. Verse 1, hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. A psalm and song at the dedication of the house of David. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up, and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And in my prosperity I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. <clears throat> thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. I cried unto thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord made I supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. All right, so what do we have? We have a, uh, <clears throat> uh, we don't really have an explicit reference to David as the author, but it would be difficult to imagine anyone else but David as the author of the psalm because it was written at the dedication of his house. Now, when we say his house, we're talking about uh, David's palace, the, the palace of the king. We're not talking about the Lord's temple here. Uh, that was built by Solomon, you will remember. But David built a palace for the king in Jerusalem. This is to speak of the royalty of Christ. Uh, you'll remember, I hope, in our, in our readings that once we come to Solomon and we see Solomon's wisdom and opulence and expansive kingdom, we have said that this is because he has to play the part in the earth as that, as that type of Christ, that greater son of David. Well, David does the same thing here. David, in building for himself a house, is also a type of the Lord Jesus Christ who said upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So does Christ have a palace? He does. It's not a palace made with hands, right? It is his house as we read of it in Hebrews chapter 3. And he is the son over that house. So here is David building himself a house. This represents a transition in David's life. 
Whereas at one point in David's career, he was running for his life. He was running from Saul, right? He was running from uh, Doeg. He was running from others. Uh, Now here David builds himself a palace. He is settled finally in Jerusalem. He has triumphed over his enemies. Yet we will also reckon, won't we, in the life of David, historically speaking, that David's running was not yet over. That David, even after the the grace of God upon him, where he was able to triumph over all of his enemies and build himself a house, well, he let that go to his head and became idle, and his idleness translated into sin, and his sin translated into judgment, chastisement, and the chastisement was that he would once again go on the run, wouldn't he? He went on on the run from his son Absalom. And so while we see David and the vicissitudes of David's life, that they rise and they fall, we want to remember that our lives might even do the same. That David had times of great triumph and great tragedy. This is why David must be the sweet psalmist of Israel. That David must teach us how to triumph in praise to God and that the tragedies of our lives are also brought before the Lord in song, that we may cry out to him. And so David, uh, may I say it this way, lived quite a life. And in living quite a life, in living that life, he was equipped by God and by God's Spirit to be that sweet psalmist of Israel. So triumph and tragedy, both we see in David's life. Now we're in a moment of triumph. And what does David do when the triumph comes? Beloved, there are times when we have, we've been praying for something, say. We have been desiring something. We brought it before the Lord. We've cried out to the Lord for deliverance, and that deliverance comes. What does David do? That's what Psalm 30 is about. Notice how it begins. I will extol thee, O Lord. Extol. Praise with great vehemence, right? Lift up, give honor, give glory, give recognition. Put the honor where the honor is due. It's not due to my prowess, David says. I will extol thee, O God, O Lord. Sorry, he uses Jehovah, that that covenant name of God. For thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. Let us remember, as we said a moment ago, That the Lord doesn't simply lift us up. He doesn't simply cause us to triumph over particular circumstances and then leave us alone. That what the Lord did for David is when when he was raised up, and, and although he in this psalm praised God for that raising up, when he lost sight of that, the Lord brought him back underneath chastisements. Why? Because he is a loving father. And he will not permit his children to go astray. So, notice what he did then in verse 2. He gives God thanks because God did hear him and heal him. I cried unto thee, thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou brought up my soul from the grave. Thou kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. In those few phrases there, what does David say to us? What do we learn from that? That when we have those kinds of deliverances or triumphs, that we make use of that in thinking back on where we were 
and how far the Lord has brought us and how much the Lord has done for us that it might uh, be a source of praise for us, that we might see the difference. Very often we're in the midst of a circumstance. Whether that circumstance is a circumstance of, of illness or affliction, or maybe it's a circumstance of joy and prosperity. When we're in either one of those, we are tempted to think what? That it's always been this way and it'll always be that way. Right? We have, we have, we have very short memories. Our politicians, they, they count on that, don't they? They do. And it's true. It's true of us. We have short memories. And so David encourages us here that in times of triumph to remember the tragedies that came before. In times of tragedy, we're often counseled in the Psalms to remember the times of triumph that came before. Right? And so we want to make a good use of every particular circumstance. So the change in David's estate is while there was a time in his life where he was running for his life, uh, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave, David says. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. <clears throat> Verse 4. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. It is for God's holiness that he brings us up. It is not for anything good in us. So when we think on God's doing wondrously toward us, it is an opportunity, it is an invitation, David says, to think on God's holiness, to think on the holiness of our great Jehovah, the covenant-keeping, promise-honoring God. For his anger endureth but a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. These are intentional contrasts, aren't they? The first is a contrast of time, Right? His anger is but a moment, but his favor is lifelong. It stretches for our entire lives. And what that tells us is that even his anger is in the service of his favor toward us. Right? The moments are included in the life, aren't they? And then secondly, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And that is that our our times of distress are temporary, beloved. They're temporary. They don't endure forever. It may be a night. It may be more than a night. It may be a month. It may be a year. But let us remember also that the Lord is with us in that night of difficulty. And he doesn't forsake us in that night of difficulty. It is he that causes the sun to rise and set. It is he that sends the night. And so he has not forgotten us, even when it seems night. Joy cometh in the morning. So, uh, the Lord has lifted up David, and so David then lifts up the Lord. And this is how uh, we must handle these times of affliction, and then also uh, Respite from affliction. If the Lord dealt with us, beloved, according to our sins, there would be no respite from affliction. The deception of the enemy of our souls is for us to think that we deserve a good life. Right? We deserve comforts and uh, deliverance from trouble. 
But we really don't. Really, if the Lord treated with us according to what we deserve, well, it would be unrelenting sorrow and then death and then eternal judgment. So let us remember then that every, every kindness from God is an, is an expression to us of his favor. All right, so that's the first part of the psalm. Then we move on. Verse 6, David will say this, And in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. There's a division among commentators as to how to interpret that phrase. Remember what I said to you a moment ago. I said that when we're in affliction, sometimes it seems like it's never going to abate. Or when we're in prosperity, it seems like it'll always be that way. Right? So that's the first interpretation. In my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Right? And so David is, is thinking perhaps negatively. Right, So here the Lord has prospered me. And so that perhaps led into a, a bit of what we might call presumption. That the favor of God is such that we might go on sinning with impunity. Or we might enter into some deficiency and not worry about it. Not have to think about it. I shall never be moved in my prosperity. But we want to uh, turn away from all temptations to presumption, don't we? The other interpretation of this passage is that this is a statement of confidence. That David made a good use of his prosperity. And so when he said, in my prosperity I shall never be moved, what he meant was that the Lord will sustain me no matter what my circumstances are, I will never be moved. The Lord has given me this time of prosperity to strengthen my confidence in his favor such that it doesn't matter what comes, I'll never be moved. And so the next phrase would tend to support that second interpretation because notice what he says, Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Right? What is David's mountain there? Well, once again, we're speaking prophetically. We're speaking about Christ and his house. We're speaking about that mountain of the Lord. Jerusalem itself, the house, the church that the Lord Jesus is and will build and bring to perfection through his ordained means. Yet David understood that the Lord was going to give him a sure house. Isn't that the Davidic covenant of 2 Samuel chapter 7? That's the sure house, that mountain now watch, thou didst hide thy face, I was troubled, I cried unto thee, O Lord, and, and unto the Lord I made supplication. You see that in verse 6? Oh, sorry, verse 7 and 8 there? And so what does David say? In my prosperity I shall never be moved. I will never be moved because if I lose my prosperity, if the Lord hides his face, I will call upon him. I will look to him. I will ask him for strength to endure even these difficulties, these calamities, until they are, as David writes elsewhere, overpassed. Beloved, whether we're up or whether we're down, the Lord is our portion. The Lord is the one upon whom we, whom we must call. Now notice what he says following this. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? 
verse 9, uh, verses 9 and, uh, or yeah, verse 9 there, excuse me. Verse 9 is, is an interesting verse, hard to interpret, um, because it sounds like if we interpret it in a baldly literal fashion, that, that no one should ever die, right? If you take a look at, well, what profit is there in my blood? If I go down to the pit, shall the dust praise thee, Lord? Certainly you're going to make me live forever, right? What is David saying here? Here's what, here, here's what David is saying. David is saying, if I go down to the pit as one forgotten of thee, if I go down to the pit as one judged by thee, well then how will you receive praise from that? If I go down to the pit as one who has been forsaken of thee. And so what, what David does here is he calls upon the Lord to vindicate his own name in doing good to his servants that his praise might be cried up in the world rather than down. This is consistent with, with many other prayers that we see in Scripture. You'll remember what Joshua did. They went to Ai the first time, right? And what happened? 38 men died, or 37 men died that day. Why? Because there was sin in the camp. Do you remember what Joshua did when they got back to their camp? Joshua fell down on his face and he said, Oh Lord, what will you do for your great name? The heathen are going to say that you you can't bring your people into the land. What wilt thou do for thy great name? And of course, the angel of the Lord responds to Joshua and says, Get up. There's sin in the camp. That's what my name is all about. Right? But notice that righteous prayer by Joshua. He didn't know that there was sin in the camp, and he was concerned mostly for God's name. David is concerned for the same thing here. And so if I go down to the pit, one who is one whom thou hast lifted up, and 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 I'm I'm rejoicing over my foes, and you've built me a sure house, and you've made my mountain to stand, and if I go down to the pit as one rejected by thee, what will that do for your name, Lord? So instead, vindicate your own name upon your people. Right? Bring praise down upon, or bring praise up, uh, up unto thy name by bringing favor down upon thy people. And so David, verse 10, Hear, O Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Then David takes courage at what the Lord has done for him and will do. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and be not silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. And so here what David says is that not that he should never die, but that he should go to the grave as many of the saints of old did, full of days with praise upon their lips And that when they make that step from time into eternity, that they might continue that praise forever. That they have thus learned in every situation upon this earth to praise the Lord in such a way that when they make that final step into glory, it is just a continuation. It is an advancement to the inheritance that they already enjoyed in this life. Thus ends the reading then of Psalm 30. Let's